You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Welcome to Dental Talk. I'm Dr. Phil Klein. Today we'll be discussing bioactivity and biomineralization in dentistry. Our guest is Dr. John Camisi, a practicing dentist, founder of Dental Care with a Difference, president and CEO of Sleep Focused Solutions, and an associate professor at the Medical University of South Carolina, James B. Edwards College of Dental Medicine. Before we get started, I would like to thank our sponsor, Pulp Dent. Established in 1947, Pulp Dent's research and product development is directed toward unlocking nature's healing powers with bioactive materials that mimic the physical and chemical properties of tooth structure. They behave favorably in the moist oral environment and maximize the potential for remineralization. So thank you, Pulp Dent, for your support for this podcast. Dr. Kamisi, it's a pleasure to have you on Dental Talk. It's great to be back with you. By the way, you did a great job last night on your Viva Learning webinar, 600 people or plus on that webinar that finished it. So congratulations. For those of you who want to see the recorded version of Dr. Kamisi's webinar, you can find it at vivalearning.com. Type in the search field Kamisi, C-O-M-I-S-I. The title is Biointeractive Materials, A Restorative Renaissance Arising. Great title. I love that title. Thank you. Thank um, you very much. Let's ask a, a very simple question to begin. What is the difference between bioactivity and biomineralization? Well, it's an excellent question because there's a great deal of confusion regarding that. Bioactivity is actually uh, has something to do with how a material will work with a natural substance. You know, it, it's how it works seamlessly with the overall uh, aspect of the tooth itself. So when we're looking at bioactivity, the way Hench described it is it's a material that elicits a specific biologic response between a material and a natural structure. Bioactivity is really very important because it has a lot to do with how a tooth or a structure is mineralized. And the mineralization aspect is a, an important thing also because this is how living organisms secrete inorganic materials in an organized fashion and in a hierarchical uh, mechanism. So it has to be staged in an appropriate way. It's not something that happens, poof, and there you go. It has to be done in a specific purposed way. And that's how nature works. So bioactivity is very essential in order to enable biomineralization. Can you talk about the relationship between bioactivity and biomineralization? When you have a bioactive material, it's releasing ions. If you think about it in the mouth, there's a constant interaction between the calcium phosphates and other ions that are present in the saliva and the tooth structure. And there's a constant exchange of a mineralization and a demineralization that goes on. And of course, as we discussed last night, the carious process is the overwhelming demineralization of a tooth structure. But if you can then add a positive material with positive ions like calcium phosphates, you can then enable a remineralization process to occur. And this is happening every day in every one of our mouths. But when decay gets so bad and it destroys the enamel and then it invades into the dentin, we need to enable the tooth to heal. And if we don't provide those ions within the materials that we're working with, that tooth will not heal. It'll essentially be like putting the plastic 
cover on your grandmother's couch. It's going to protect something on the inside, but it's not going to do much to uh, to do for whatever damage is already there. It's putting on the cut, the seat cover too late, <laughs> essentially, right, if right. you think about it. So the bioactive material, does that kind of act in a similar way that saliva acts to remineralize the tooth? It can. And again, it, it, it enables the structure of the tooth, the dentin in this situation where most of the damage occurs, to actually take in the various ions that are present. Uh, and so that enables the tooth to respond favorably. If you don't have it as where most of our traditional composites are, there's nothing in them. Right. They're just basically filling a hole and they're not doing anything to protect it. And the biomineralization occurs because of the way that the, the, the ions from the, the material begins to interact with the tooth structure. We've been doing this a while. We've been doing a lot of direct composites for many years now. For the most part, it's basically an inert situation that's going on, right? The relationship is uh, there's nothing really happening at the interface between the material and the tooth. So now that we have this bioactivity, do you see that eventually dentists are going to be using these materials routinely and will be phasing out the existing uh, composite restoratives that we have today that are not bioactive? As our newer clinicians are trained and we train them here, at MUSC to use various materials, including biointeractive materials uh, that contain calcium and phosphates. And by giving them choices to understand where a material will work effectively uh, in areas more so than another material, they are then going to move to these interactive materials as time goes by. They find it to be beneficial. They're finding less recurrent decay they're finding less failure occurring because the biggest challenge with our overall bonding process, it is a constant attack. Everything about our, our bonding process is an acid attack on the tooth. And as I mentioned in the, in the lecture last night, how does the tooth differentiate between the attack of a decay acidity versus the attack of our bonding acidity that goes on? So we're trying to, with the newer materials, enable uh, an opportunity for everything to work in synergy together. And by placing these biointeractive materials with calcium and phosphate, it's going to turn off the enzymatic breakdown better than if we use a traditional inert composite material, stopping the, uh, the process and enabling us to be more resistant to secondary decay. So when a dentist is looking for a bioactive material, there's a lot of products out there that claim to be bioactive. I don't know how regulated that is. I don't know what it takes to define a material to say this is truly bioactive. How do you discern that this is the right product for your practice? What products are out there and, and how does a dentist make the right decision? Sure. Unfortunately, there are no standards. I sit on the standards committee for dental products of the ADA, and we don't have a, a ISO standard at this point in time. However, there are products that have been tested in laboratory and in vivo in live uh, patients uh, studies that show mineralization to occur. And we've seen that with materials like Activa Bioactive and Activa Presto in the various studies that we've been looking at and other researchers around the world. We're seeing crystallization and remineralization. 
Now, there's a small difference between crystallization and remineralization. Uh, crystallization, as my friend Salvatore Saro would often say, is like putting Parmesan cheese on spaghetti. It sits on top of the spaghetti, but it really isn't interacting with it. However, if you make a cream sauce, as he likes to say, it integrates with the structure. And I love that analogy because it really makes sense. We can't just create tempura. We need to make something that's gonna embed itself into the material, into the structure of the tooth. And this has to be done in a very purposed, effective, natural way. So if you have a burst of activity, as some materials can do, you may or may not really create a biomineralization. A burst of activity is great for the calcium silicate materials that are available when we're trying to do a pulp capping uh, process to help the nerve respond fast to a stimulus of the calcium and silicates that are available in our calcium silicate materials. But when you place a bioactive material, it's not gonna do a lot right off the bat. And it's actually not a good material to put directly on the pulp. You want to put something that's beneficial like calcium silicates, but for dentin, that needs to be slowly and purposely remineralized and strengthened again, so we don't have that structural uh, loss of integrity. These types of biointeractive materials, which have this slow purposed release that the structure can take in as it needs it, is extraordinarily important. Pulpden as a company started off with some kind of bioactive material, right? When they when they first came out with a product that actually went over the pulp Correct. directly. It was supposed to interact and form that dentin bridge, which helped protect the pulp and vital pulp therapy. And that's the same, that happens with every calcium hydroxide material. The original uh, limelight calcium hydroxide materials did that beautifully and they all do that beautifully but the problems with a calcium hydroxide material is that it doesn't have the physical properties to withstand the chewing forces so that's why that had to be covered with another base material on top of it to try to protect it from crumbling after it's set and that's why the advancement of these other materials have been developed to try to improve the physical properties of the wear and tear and also enable the healing to occur, the raising of the pH, et cetera, that becomes antibacterial as far as what the, the pulp chamber and the pulp of the tooth likes. But dentin is a little different. Dentin is gonna need it to take a little bit more time. If it releases all at once, we're not gonna get everything to integrate properly because we need the small amor amorphous calcium phosphate-like material to get into the uh, the, the structure of the collagen fibrils to remineralize and strengthen and bring back physical properties that used to be there. Do you see products like Activa from Pulpten and other companies virtually eliminating recurrent decay with this kind of bioactivity and, and bioremineralization? There is a higher percentage of success. Again, the biggest problem is often clinician error when we don't follow the instructions for use. I know it's it's hard for us to, you know, we're doctors, we don't need no darn instructions uh, to paraphrase the uh, the movie. Uh, and again, the, the reality is that we, we, we wanna be able to do it properly, but you're gonna reduce the likelihood of secondary decay if we use these materials in the proper order and the proper fashion that they're intended to be used. Could you briefly go over the clinical technique using a product like Activa? How would you use sure. that differently than you would use a typical restorative composite? 
well, the difference between the Activa and the Presta materials is that they're injectable materials versus a paste-like material. So that's the first thing that clinicians have to get used to is the overall working and handling of the material. But as with any procedure in bonding, you need to use phosphoric acid either in a total or a, a selective etchant situation. I teach my students never to rely on a self-etch bonding agent at all because they're really good on the dentin but horrible on the enamel. So if you're gonna do things, typically a selective etch is typically a really good way to do things. Etching all of the enamel will enable that uh, enamel prisms to uh, become more permeable to the resin materials as we work with it. And then using the uh, bonding agent of your choice as directed by the company that you're using, whatever the company's material that you're using, use it as directed, light curing it or air drying it as directed, and using a light <laughs> that's actually gonna emit the energy. There, as I was saying last night, there are so many of us that use a light that we don't even know if it's giving out the proper energy to cure anything, mm -hmm. and your light's be tested regularly otherwise you know you may be causing what I continue to call the Tootsie Roll pop effect right. crunchy on the outside soft on the inside where you get all kinds of issues so once you've etched according to which selective or total you've placed your bonding agent as directed then you can gently syringe the material into place the lovely part about these products is that it has a wonderful cannula on the end of the material as you dispense it, and you can purposely inject it into the cavity preparations. Activa, because it's a dual cure, light cured material, you're able to put it into a deep box area where light may not penetrate as effectively, and it will cure after about five to seven minutes if you don't activate it with the light. So if you're not gonna be curing, you do need to give it enough time because it needs time and temperature from the body in order to enable that dual cure mechanism to take action. And as you start getting closer and closer to the upper surfaces, curing it appropriately is gonna work. But if I, even if I'm in the deepest area, I wanna light cure it anyway to try to just get the activation of the catalyst going and then you can bring it up. But learning how to inject it into place and keeping the cannula in the material. Don't take the cannula out and then put it back in and take it out and put it back in. That's gonna create bubbles and we wanna reduce the bubbles. And the same thing with the Presto material. It's in a lovely syringable material, single tube. It's only light cured. That's the really marvelous part about it because you can use it anywhere. All of these materials can be used in any type of preparation uh, from class one to class five. They can be active. We use it for buildup all of the time. We use, you know, we, we're using these materials in ways that not this way we don't have to have multiple types of materials on hand because of the dur durability of these materials. The rubberized urethane in, incorporated into Activa and into Presto really makes it remarkable. It's resilient. It's almost tooth-like. It's almost dentin-like. And it's able to withstand forces and not fracture like many of the traditional materials do. It has a really high flexural strength, which in the mouth is hypercritical. Right. Now, as far as aesthetics go, how do these materials stand up? They are beautiful. Uh, 
I have done with Activa over the years, a lot of aesthetic restorations that turned out and polish up really well. Presto being a single syringe material, it's beautiful, it's aesthetic. It enables a nat natural type of result to occur uh, with both these materials. There's really no compromise by using a bioactive material. It's not, you're not compromising really anything. Not at all, not at all. In fact, I believe you're actually enhancing things right. by those materials. Yeah, it reminds too. me of the commercial I've been watching on football games lately. They've had it on a lot of the sports channels. It was Pepsi Zero. You don't need to compromise any longer. And it shows right. Pepsi Zero. So there's no calories in that thing. And they're pouring right. it over ice and it looks absolutely the most thirst quenching delicious drink. Of course, it's not good for you, but uh, it's, it's a good <laughs> ad. It's a good ad because it's, it's letting you know you're enjoying this drink. You're not getting any extra calories out of it and you're not compromising. So uh, yeah. you see how advertising works. Maybe we can give uh, Pulp Den a couple of ideas. There um, you go. But again, the reality here is that you're not compromising at all, whether you're using Activa or you're using Presto. What you're doing is you're actually enhancing. Right. Right. I, I like that thought process. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But what I'm doing is just playing devil's advocate, you know, sure. from the perspective of a dentist that's been using a very strong composite resin system for many years, getting mm -hmm. beautiful aesthetics, polymerizes rock hard, polishes beautifully for them to make that switch when they're having success. Now, if they're not getting any patient sensitivity to sensitivity post uh, operatively, what do you tell a dentist? Like why, if they ask you, Dr. Kamisi, I listened to your webinar, I've got listened to you speak, I've read the research, I like what I'm seeing, but I'm not having any sensitivity complaints from my patients and I'm comfortable with the traditional composite resins. What's your answer? Well, again, that's an excellent question. They're not having a sensitivity probably because they're doing most of those things as far as the steps that we talked about correctly. And they're using probably a light that they're testing to make sure that they're getting full photochemical cure going on. So those are the two things there. But what happens in three to five years when they start having marginal leakage and where the breakdown at the gingival margin starts to occur, which is where most of our class two restorations start to fail in the deep, dark, wet box. And if they didn't use as effective isolation, if they had some seepage in there, they had some lack of polymerization that at least initially is not sensitive, but what happens when it becomes that way? Are they gonna feel good about having to go back in and removing that structure and apologizing because they didn't get things cured the right way, or they didn't stop the moisture contamination, or they didn't use the light that was gonna cure the whole thing through. We know we have polymerization shrinkage stress that occurs every time that we cure, every time a methacrylate resin. But if you have a shrinkage going on and it's a gap that doesn't look much on the outside, it's, a, it's the Grand Canyon to bacteria with biointeractive materials like Activa and Presto, there is a mineralization forming at that interface that's going to prevent the microleakage and the macroleakage from occurring. So again, you can continue to do what you're doing and hopefully what you're doing is always gonna be great, or you can protect your patient and yourself by incorporating materials that will protect when the unfortunately unseen things occur. Right. And that's my, my, my basis of, of observation right now. Yeah, and that's a good thought process to 
live off of and work off of as a, as a healthcare provider. What does the future hold in the area of bioactive materials and dentistry? Well, that's a really great, great question. I see the continued development of antimicrobial and biointeractive cavity washes, bonding agents, and other materials that can help with the nucleation process of remineralization and promote and enable the more natural biomineralization process that occurs in the natural ordered format that we've discussed. And again, the researchers and the work that's going on out there as I continue to read the papers that are being diligently uh, published by my colleagues and my friends around the world, we're getting better and better materials. We're getting better and better opportunities for our patients to have a more reliable, successful result because they're coming to us damaged. They have destroyed inadvertently, whether intentional or not, the things that nature gave us in a healthy format. They, they, in an unhealthy environment developed, caries developed, problems happened. If we can provide a stable environment in the mouth with a material and a restoration, whether it's direct or indirect, which I also see as a possibility, printed restorations out of these materials are probably coming down the line that can help rebuild, restore, and protect and revitalize the tooth structure. That's where we're going and that's where I hope to be seeing things before I move on to whatever's next in my life. Yeah, no, it, it sounds very exciting, Dr. Gamisi. It's, it's so interesting to, to think about the future of these materials. You know, they keep changing right in front of our eyes, CAD, CAM, and now monolithic dentures being milled with teeth as part of the whole system. I mean, it, it's just remarkable compared to when I was in dental school. And to think that these materials can be bioactive, a brilliant future for dentistry for sure. And it makes you feel good about treating your patients, knowing that you're doing things not so much as reacting to dental disease, but also protecting what you're doing, helping the, the body heal for itself is, is a tremendous benefit to the patient. And it makes you feel great as a dental practitioner. If your students are listening to this podcast, you, you guys should be very happy that you have a professor that uh, teaches along these lines, because it's, it's, it's really an exciting future for you. Thank you very much, Dr. Kamisi. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on another podcast and webinar very shortly. Thank you. Happy holidays to you. You too.